Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Bartram and our guest Richard Pickle. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon. And hello Richard. Hello there. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Greg Opst for being our guest in episode nine. Um, really enjoyed that chat, Greg. So uh, thanks for being with us. Um, and now we've got another guest with us. Um, and it's somebody that Andrew brought to my attention because he sent me a link to a recent blog post, uh, which was all about simplifying the zone system. And as Andrew has made many attempts to teach me the zone system and it's just not worked i think he sort of gave up and delegated the task out and uh and in fact i've written i've read this article and i've got to say it, it does actually make things slightly more clear um <laughs> but um yeah so i think we might be having a bit of a we might be talking a fair bit of zone system today but the person behind this this blog is with us and he's got a lot of other things that we want to talk to him about as well so perhaps andrew you might want to give richard a proper introduction certainly i'd i'd, I'd love to but it's taken nine shows um simon to get begin to get the shine i can't even say it you know that shine flug principle we find i think we finally nailed it with the uh, Wayne, maybe I think with the aid of a beer mat. So you know, don't lose heart. That we'll get we'll get the zone system into that stoky noggin of yours um, eventually. So, um, but what better way than to have a teacher of photography on the show? Because clearly, none of us can explain it to you in a way which is simple enough. So I'm very pleased, very pleased to very pleased to welcome Richard Pickup to the show. Hello, Richard. Hello, Andrew. Now I've known. Uh, uh, virtually Richard for a while on Twitter I think we've decided that's probably where we started interacting Richard is always very generous and uh, uh, interactive with folks on Twitter so if you don't already follow Richard on Twitter do so because he has a really great blog as well which we'll come to so let me give you a bit of an introduction to Richard and I'm going to use some of his bio from his uh, from his website so Richard is first and foremost a teacher of photography and he has a day job, day job doing justice. That's at the South Staffs. Yeah, South Staffs College, College University. Yeah. College, further College. education. College. Okay. Yeah. But apparently, it was not always thus. You taught art and photography history, yeah. and theory to a wide range of students, and you have a degree in fine art. Oh well, maybe you can tell us what 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 that is. Oh, an no. MA, an MA in the social history of art. Wow. So I get fine art and the zone system. To yeah, there'd be no bullshitting okay. you, will there, on this show? I better be quiet. <laughs> and Richard, you, well, why don't you, um, so that, that's enough to be going on with. Why don't you, in the time-honoured way, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are and your love of photography? Because yeah. oh, I know the love of photography flows through your veins like words yeah. through a stick of rock. Yeah, that's a, that's a long, convoluted story. In a nutshell, uh, it was being introduced to photography when I was a college student and then using it in my fine art degree and then ending up teaching it after I'd done my master's and a period of teaching art history and critical theory. So I kind of went fine art, art history and theory, and then to a further education job, which was much more practical based and started teaching darkroom at that point. So that was in a that was about two thousand and seven, 
I would have started teaching darkroom. But you'd been working in a darkroom and using yeah, film for, yeah. for, I mean, I, for I a long went time. To Nottingham Trent University to do a fine art degree there and they had great darkrooms which were always open and you could just help yourself and yeah, that was really Is that when it was Nottingham Trent University or Trent Poly? Uh, it was Nottingham Trent University by then, but it, uh-huh. yeah, not long gone over, I don't think. My wife went to Trent Poly, that's the only oh, reason okay. I was saying it. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd, you were using film as a, when you were knee high to a grasshopper? Yeah, I think, yeah, when, uh, when did I, it's one of those questions, isn't it? I had a camera when I was a teenager, I think, of uh, yeah functioning camera i remember getting a plastic camera when i was very young and feeling very frustrated that this plastic thing didn't work oh i use plastic cameras all the time they still don't work (laughs) (laughs) i didn't want that (laughs) (laughs) no that's not true i love my holgers (laughs) so it's it's wonderful to have you because we can now ask you all about the zone system because I, uh, yeah. Well, we might as well start there. Um, Simon's already made reference to it, but why we have actually got a question. Why don't we? Why don't we launch into this into this yeah. topic, uh, which we I'm sure we can discuss for the next six hours. Let's break <laughs> break podcasting records, and we have a question from. Um, in fact, we've had two questions before. I move on to the zone system. Can I? Yeah. Just make reference to one that we've had for a couple of shows now that we haven't yet addressed and we're not going to address it this time either. <laughs> so Monty, Monty Craig, if you, um, if you're still waiting for us to answer your question about lenses, hold fire, my friend, if you've gone out and bought these lenses that you're asking us about, well, that's all well and good, but we will get around to ask answering your question because we're going to have Jason Lane on the show soon, Simon. Yeah, soon. It's just 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 tie, tying the date down where we can all get together. Yeah, maybe he'll maybe he'll even be the next one on. We don't we don't know yet. But uh, Jason it knows all about lenses. So in the same way that Richard knows all about the zone system. Um, <laughs> so, so no, no yeah. pressure there. Well, yeah. well, I was going to say to to ramp up the pressure on that one. Then uh, <laughs> um, Jason Lane's designs lenses for a living. Um, so uh, um, that's it. So uh, and Richard teaches <laughs> the zone system for a living. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I've never taught the zone system actually. Oh, don't say that. Uh, okay. Well, well, not all of it anyway. Well, you did a blog post on it, so you uh, yeah, you're, you're a closest thing to an expert that we've yeah. had on the show. So let me read this question. I don't know whether to. Mm, yeah. So it's in three parts. Maybe I'll just read Do the, the first, first part out. Yes, yeah. I think so. So. Um, James. Oh, James Thorpe. Yeah, he's our um, great contributor to the show. Greetings, large LF. Oh, LFers. Oh, there. I'm failed at the first LFers. Yeah, large formatters. That'll be us. Really looking forward to further discussion on the zone system. Mm-hmm. I'm still quite muddy on the topic. Well, James, maybe you're placing your shadows in the wrong place. So here are a few questions. Did you like that? Yeah. So here are a few questions to further demonstrate my ignorance. There are no ignorant questions, James. Please, they're all great questions. Answers. (laughs) I I think I've already asked them all, haven't I? (laughs) So number one, 
Ansel, Adams presumably, developed and printed his own work. I don't. I send my film out to a lab I trust. Since I therefore have limited control over how my film is processed, should that change how I use the zone system and interpret its scale for my desired results? So I think what he's saying there is, I'm assuming he's referring to large format, but maybe he's looking at other formats as well. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, how can we perhaps... You know, for those listening who use medium format or even 35 mil, it's not out of this world to apply some of the zone okay, system. Yeah. So, Richard, do you want to take that one? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think the problem here, and I think James is realising this, is that part of the zone system is to do your own processing so you can change the processing to suit the exposure. So if you're sending it off to a lab, then obviously you're relinquishing part of the control of the zone system. And I think in looked at in one way, ideally you'd have every bit in place. You would be in control of every part because that's part of the reason for doing the zone system. Having said that, I think if you've got a lab, I mean, he mentions a lab that he can trust, I think, didn't he say in there? So if you can work with your lab, then you can you can use a zone system. But you are you are you, ha- you there is a bit of a danger because you're giving part of it over to somebody else. To so maybe too abstract. Yeah. So maybe let's take a step back and um, and perhaps explain to us if you could the role that development plays in the zone system. And the yeah. other bit, the other bit, of course, is exposure. They're the two factors, really, aren't they? I suppose. Exposure yeah, that's and, it. So exposure and development. What development allows you to do is there's. Well, I mean, it's it's it's. I wrote about it in the blog post. There's a characteristic of film, which is that your highlights will take longer to develop than the shadow areas. Because if you imagine a piece of film, the shadow areas haven't had as much exposure, and the lighter parts of your scene. Um, that creates more density in the film. So the the denser parts take longer to develop when you process. So you can exploit this in two ways. You can, you can uh, curtail development, you can reduce it and bring highlights down in tone, or you can take mid and light tones and you can process for longer and make those tones lighter. But you are doing this ordinarily, you are doing your own processing. So the results that you're getting are your results. So you're advocating some testing, I would imagine, with yeah. your Yeah. So because presumably if you just over without if you just keep overdeveloping, eventually you'll push those highlights to a portion on that sort of film yeah. development curve where you just no longer see any differentiation in in tone that's it and i think um there is there's an obsessive aspect to the zone system involving densitometers well yeah there's that but i think even even doing a sort of a fairly rudimentary type zone system does involve quite a lot of hard repetitive work so if you're not into that you you know it might not be for you i suppose um 
but you're do, right. But do you I mean, not think as soon as anyone starts talking about pushing and pulling and throwing those things around, and yeah. aren't they immediately with even self conscious unconsciously using the the zone system? It, yeah. So I think I think in a way for James, there's two answers. There's the the strict technical answer which is that he's relinquishing a part of the control that he would ordinarily have if he develops his own film but the other answer is a looser one to say well you can use his own system to improve your understanding of exposure and you can use aspects of it you don't have to you know necessarily have the rigor of everything to get something out of it so would it be fair to say for james that if he's if he's sending his film off to a lab um, there are some things he could say. Uh, yeah. I mean, he could he could say, for instance, this was a very contrasty scene, and the difference in light levels between the darkest and the highest was ten stops. Yeah. And um, what what could he say to the lab for, in that situation? He could say, "Give it reduced development." So he could say that, and they'll probably have. Um, some ballpark figures for doing that because in, in the zone system we talk about N being normal development and then N plus and N minus for adding and subtracting development so they'll probably have you know rough ideas but the trouble is they're again they're, they will have their standardised ways of processing film it depends on the film it depends on their processing yeah Depends on how bespoke that is, and to know. be and to be truthful, you individuals would need to determine what is inverted commas n exactly, development yeah. for themselves. So, so may, maybe we, we've sort of jumped in, and I understand why. I understand why James is asking this question, yeah. but really, the the question should start, I would think, at the other end, because you the first step in this process is to. Yeah, absolutely. determine your exposure. And again, we're talking, there are some simple and indeed complicated zone system tests. So it's I, so I know, Richard, it's all about placing shadows. I know it's all about zones. I know it's about testing. So how, how would you, if somebody is new to this and they wanted to try and get an understanding of how to use the zone system for exposure and they, they hear us talking about placing shadows and yeah. into zone threes, um, but they're just finding that I don't know their zone three where they were expecting some detail is is blank film. Yeah, you know. So wh- where do where do they start on exposure placement and determining whether a zone three really is a zone three? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, they, I think you can you can do a series of tests just to see just to work out your kind of film speed. So that, that's probably a place to start. So with a simple setup, um, I think I've got some images in my blog. So I've got a, a sort of setup of bits of card and things. People uh, use textured grey towel, don't they? Or textured yeah, white towel or something. That's in John Blakemore's book, isn't it? He Is like, it? I don't know. Like a towel yeah. uh, because of the texture in it rather than just a grey card. Yeah. But I set up a scene of different, you know, shadow areas, mid-tones and some light white bits of polystyrene and things to give me a range of tones. Yeah. I've just shot that at different film speeds. So um, 
keeping the shutter speed the same, using my five four, and then just changing. So you're the metering the subject and just taking an average reading. So is that I was just going from the grey card and just starting there, um, and then it's just seeing where that falls. So so hang on, hang on, hang on. Grey card. What are you talking about? Oh, with yeah, the grey card. Grey card. 18% grey. <laughs> so in, in, in the zone system, uh, what we do is we divide tones into areas of tone. So if you, a scene really is made up of an infinite, you know, it's an analog thing, isn't it? It's made up of an infinite array of tones. But in the zone system, we say we have effectively, well, it's nine, nine zones that we label, but you don't really get nine zones because nine is pretty much white and zero is pretty much black. Um, and so we, we divide, you know, what we're seeing into those equivalent tones. So zone five is that 18% mid gray. And you can actually buy a, a gray card, um, which is, you know, it's calibrated at that, that mid tone. I've just, I'm just going to say, if I can just jump in there, uh, this, is, this was something, 18% grey has been something that's confused me for a very long time. Yeah. And I, I, every, and I, I think it's that, that term, 18% grey, because it's, in, in my mind, a, a mid-grey uh, says it's 50% grey, um, but in reality it's not. So I don't know if you can actually explain the difference between how my mind is working and uh, what... Why eighteen percent grey is a mid is a mid value? Um, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. There's, I'm, sure, I'm sure I've read about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. I can't remember what the answer is. It's to do with transmission densities and reflection yeah. levels. Yeah. Can't you just accept it, Simon? Well, that, that's the thing. In yeah, fact, yeah. I tell you what. There's a there's a there's a very clever chap out there, and he's. His name is Cetine or Cetine, CT. Oh, Cetine. Yeah, however you pronounce it. And he always took issue with the 18% and said, actually, it's 13%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's one the thing about it as well that's worth remembering, though, in in a way, these are kind of, they're not fictional values, but they're they're only real in your negatives and in your prints, if that makes sense. You know, I think people kind of think there's there's some sort of, magical standard that they're not reaching and the thing about the zone system is it's about getting a handle on the way that your prints ultimately are coming out so it's about you know you being able to say a mid-grain when i expose something that mid-grain that i think in my mind's eye that i'm getting perhaps getting onto visualization a bit here but that, that mid-grain is going to be something like i see in my print and i take to be that grid mid-grain yeah, I, I, I get. I'm, I'm, I'm actually. I've something else has just come in, in into my head there, which may, may be helpful or may not be. Um, but when we when we talk about this this eighteen percent grey, uh, and we're saying that the the meter is trying to turn everything into eighteen percent grey, which is I'm sort of still trying to get my head around what that even means. Yeah. But the 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 other part is if you. And, and where this you can actually see this really happening is is when you're taking a, fi- a picture of something that is white, and this is one of the things that's in your uh, blog post, which I which I thought was really really good. I'm sure it's been done many many times before, yeah. but I've actually yeah. I actually understood it when I actually read your blog post that you you if you meter for for a white wall, 
Um, and and let's just say all things are equal, and you, uh, the, the the film is at the right exposure index, and it's it's processed as exactly yeah. as it should be. That white wall won't be white when you get your photograph back. It will be grey. Yes, it'll be eighteen percent grey. Yeah, and that's really important to understand that because you can't understand the principles of placement and fall of tones if you can't get your head round that relationship between metering and that mid-grey. See, Simon, uh, Ansel Adams talks about um, determining the point in the scene in front of him where he, want, where he wants to see some basic detail, and he, he nails that, and that becomes his base exposure. So forget anything. And then the, the highlights, he would then meter the highlights, and he would use that term that Richard just used. The highlights are then falling on... Yeah in these other relative tones. So if, if it's a very dull and misty scene, let's just say, and it's very little, very little difference between shadows and highlights, he might be exposing his film to place his shadows yeah. in an area where he wants to see some detail. And when he meters for the highlights, there only could be maybe one or two stops above. Whereas in his mind, he's visualizing them as a as sort of luminous highlights. Yeah, so that's then, really well put. Yeah. So then he's so then say we don't need you on the show, Richard. Don't. No, you can do it without me. <laughs> it's fine. You've got so, it. So so Richard would, so Ansel would then want to is in his mind's eye. He's visualizing these luminous highlights, but he knows the highlights are falling, and they're going to be a muddy grey. So he's going to then want to tweak his development because by extending his development, he would know that he really wants them to be two more stops further up instead of falling on, say, zone five. He wants them on zone seven or possibly zone eight. Yeah. He would be developed. He would mark his film as or his sheet as that requires N plus two. Now he would arrive at N plus two by testing in the, and that's the, that's the ball's ache bit of it that I can never be bothered with. Yeah, that's a repetitive bit, isn't it? And the, yeah. the rigorous bit. See, for me, because I teach and I'm here in an institutional darkroom every day, I can do bits and pieces as I go along over a long yeah. period. So to bring this discussion back to the who I am bit, it kind of suits my way of working because I, I can do a little bit and leave it and then a little bit and leave it yeah and and li, li, students can go away and think about it they can go away and play with it come back yeah. and ask a supplementary question develop develop the story yeah so Ansel Adams would know that by um, looking Extending at the, looking, looking at the scene in front of him and and placing his exposure where where would he be what, what does it what does he mean by what why is he looking to place his exposure anywhere what, what's all that about so the the placing is you only have one choice don't you you only have one aperture and shutter speed combination mm -hmm. which is exposing the whole scene no matter how it, clever your camera is yeah, how many exactly. how many, how many yeah. exposure modes it's got it's still going to set still gonna be, speed and an aperture yeah and that's photography in a way isn't it i mean mm. a friend of mine says this photography is aperture and shutter speed you know that's what it comes down to um and what you've got to remember is that ansel is using a spot meter 
So he can look at different areas and see how, how bright they are relative to one another. So then if, if, he, if he chooses, it's back to that white wall thing, if he chooses one surface and meters from that in, and then simply takes that reading and develops at that point, he'll get a mid-gray for that, for that area. But then what Even he's... though he's using it, so people would see a spot meter as being a very clever meter, but actually you have to use them really carefully. Yeah, absolutely. Because... And there's certain tricks with them and certain things to do and not do. How are you getting um, on with how are you getting on Simon with your spot meter? What what are your main issues with spot metering? Because well, you've been out doing some waterfall photography, and I saw a saw post evidence. on the on the lensless uh, large format photography podcast Facebook group that you'd you'd um, got it in your head that you were going to meter from a certain area in the scene, weren't you? That's that's right. I was out. Was it last Sunday or the Sunday before? I can't quite can't quite remember now. Uh, but I was out with uh, Mikel Tekel. Um, I've been out a few times in, in the past shooting with a Hasselblad, um, and this time he's uh, well, he's he's been a listen to, listener to this podcast, and now he's he's had to go out and buy a large format camera. <laughs> um, so. I felt I felt obligated to go out with him uh, when he said, "Should we go out shooting?" So, well, I better I better do now. You've bought a large format camera, um, and we went to a place in the Peak District, uh, which is a, a nice part of um, England, and uh, there was a um, a waterfall scene in a in a forest. And I uh, say a scene, yeah, the, you, there are lots of opportunities to take photographs in this place and just keep on walking and there's, there's another shot. And and I, I decided that I wanted to get quite a moody looking scene and I, I wanted to effectively underexpose my photographs. What, what, so what were you, so you're, you were visualising a certain image in your mind, Simon, were you? Yes, and was this a was this an image that w was predominantly with dark darker tones and a little bit of highlight? Is that is that what you're talking about? Are you That's, looking for well, I detail in detail in the in the shadows or blocked up I, shadows? The, the, the problem is because I'm I'm also a digital shooter. I sort of want it all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> I was just trying to understand what you meant by moody. You see, because yeah, it's, be, it's yeah. about visualizing something and trying to end up with that. Well, it's it's a case of I I wanted very deep blacks. And I and I wanted um, almost, but not quite, blown highlights in the. Because these are, we're talking about long exposures, um, and it was a. I wouldn't call it quite dimly lit scene, but the, the yeah the light wasn't wasn't particularly great, and and I was I I decided well what I'll do, I'll meter on the area where it's already quite dark. It's an area where perhaps I might think is already zone three, if you if you like. And where there's so, so it's a, to, so Simon, now you're 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 using terminology now without explaining yourself. So what <laughs> what's what zone three? Uh, zone zone three. My understanding of zone three is a, is a deep shadow area where where details can still be seen. Okay, very good. Yeah, carry on. That's good. I passed that test. Um, passed the test. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was thinking, well, I'm not interested in the detail in that scene. Ah. I want I want to turn that black. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so And that's well, a perfectly valid judgment to make. 
<laughs> I would ha- I was just telling you. So you don't yeah, you know this you don't you don't have to have all shadow you don't have to do it this way. You can but the zone system allows you to control and have some understanding. If you say you want those shadows to be black, well how do I meter to achieve that? Yeah. And that's an understand that's where the understanding of placing your exposure comes or, or in my case potentially running before i can walk I no think. no it's good no it's good you're learning so, <laughs> so carry, for you, so for you simon so for you you're metering from that scene and then um taking it down two stops yeah and, and that's that's, that's what you're pra- that's, yes that's what you're practically doing yeah. isn't it from yes. a practical point of view you're metering that gray that black scene or that yeah. uh, which you you've decided you want it to be featureless black let's say that's right. Which is, a, as I say, a, va- a perfectly valid um, position to take. And so you would meter it, which would give you, if you just set your camera to that exposure, you'd get a very open shadow. Yes. Very, o- very open shadow, you know, sort of mid-gray open shadow, which could also be what you wanted. But because you then chose to reduce the exposure, you're shifting the tonality down and down and down. And at some point, probably three to four stops, you would definitely be deep black. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that 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 was that was the theory. So, so what did you do? Well, that well, that's that was exactly what I did. And uh, and Mikel wasn't shooting that way. He was effectively shooting it, let's say, conventionally, and his timings were literally two stops higher than mine mm-hmm. so uh, that that that, so that so, kind of makes sense didn't it ex- exactly um although when we were chatting about that when i told him this um he, he started getting he got quite worried <laughs> i was thinking okay <laughs> you're down there and i said oh i'm underexposing by two stops ah right okay um well no you're not underexposing by two stops you're choosing to expose it there. oh yeah and also oh, remember yeah. your meter and his meter could easily be a stop apart from each other so comparing comparing numbers is is quite frankly it's not really meaningless but i mean it, it, i wouldn't i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't lose sleep over that yeah you know? but it, it certainly made, i think both of us felt felt better that the the methodology that we were both using coincided with each other at least anyway mm-hmm. um for for what we were deliberately attempting to do um now where where this fell down and i've been rightly criticized by everybody <laughs> including i think wayne's told me off as well um uh is that what i didn't do is measure the difference between that that the area that i measured which is what i believe to be in zone three and then to see what the uh, the highlight measurement would be so I didn't actually mm-hmm. know what the range yeah. is. And, and the reason why that was important, because the question that I, act, I asked was um, because I, was, I had a, an opportunity to um, develop these last Tuesday, the Six Towns Darkroom. And there was a, a range of developers available to me. So I asked the question, uh, this is the scene. I want these, these blacks, these area here, this area is circled to be black, uh, but, I, but I, I don't want to... Actually, I wasn't really so much about worried about the uh, the highlights being blown out. I was worried about the highlights being grey, too muddy. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then the first question that came in was, well, what was the what was the exposure range between mm. what you did and the, and the highlights? And I goes, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and that was that's that was obviously a key point that I'd I'd, I'd missed. So, so that's why you've got your spot meter. 
It, well, yeah, exactly. I can, I can, I can do it for more than one spot. I didn't realise that. I didn't realise I could pluralise it. Well, my um, I, the spot meter I use, I can, I can sort of anchor that deepest shadow area, and then I can by pressing a button called A or something, I can wave it around and see, and it'll say plus two, plus yeah, three, plus difference. four, yeah. And without really worrying what they are, I can immediately in my head if I, if that says plus four plus five from from my zone three upwards then in my head i know where, how i'm going to develop that you know yeah or i could perhaps not worry about it and use pyro developer but maybe we'll come on to that uh, so, so you can wave it the spot the spot meters are great for that that's uh, that's to, to be honest that's for how i use mine the most to just evaluate the range of tones in the scene and it allows you to do that very accurately yeah. But all this is good, isn't it? Because I think even if you, you feel like it's a kind of failure for now, you're learning. And this is, the, this is what the zone system encourages. It encourages this kind of inquiry about where things are and in the scene and how it's going to come out in the print. And but, I think that's um, really great. So, the, the other, so what this leads on to, uh, f- forget the highlights for the moment. Let's just carry on with your uh, an- analysing your picture, Simon, in the shadow areas. Because... So you said you reduced the exposure by two stops to place it onto what you you know imagined zone three would be. So by definition, remember, zone three still has a hint of some working detail, some acceptable level of detail. Not not too much, not too little, but John Blakemore would call it uh, living blacks. And so when you developed your film, forget the highlights, when you developed your film, was that area that you metered from completely featureless, or did it have some detail? Well, that was that's where things went horribly wrong, <laughs> um, because there's I've got plenty of detail in in there, and but the and 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 this is always that thing about you know being able to actually do things methodically and in a, in a way that you know you, you know what you're doing, and I did it in D seventy six. Uh, which I've never used D seventy six, and we mixed the mixed it up on the night in the in the in the dark room. And of course, it, it I've never actually mixed a, uh, a developer before um, that's from a um, out of a packet. Uh, I've used um, liquid developers, mainly Rodinol, and uh, so you're already at twenty degrees or there thereabouts. So it's very easy to get to twenty degrees. Um, but it, what we or I certainly learned at the time, it's not so easy to get from fifty five degrees or whatever it is down to 20 degrees without any form of cooling mm-hmm. and after after about an hour so you de- your developer was quite hot so it would have been a, it was is that what you're saying yeah well i i well and then we come into the next potential error is how, you know how do i read a thermometer <laughs> and <laughs> and i i i thought that you know we've, we can't it's just never ever in the world going to get down to uh, 20 degrees so uh and um Paul Bullock uh, of the uh, of our Facebook group um, um, had come along, and uh, he he showed me how to use the Massive Dev app properly, um, in that you can actually adjust the uh, the temperature of the of your developer in there, and then it will get, give you a correspondingly short time because the the idea behind if your chemicals are, are warmer, um, then it will develop things more quickly. So therefore, you need to do it in a reduced time. But he also said that you know this is not necessarily a, a hard and fast and you know completely trustworthy method 
it's an approximation of what they think that you're probably going to need with this different different temperature value and so i did it for 22 degrees centigrade um, which brought the developing time down to around about eight minutes instead of 12 minutes and i'm not sure if it was actually if that was actually more close if it was closer to 24 or 23 degrees so um so it was just going wrong on multiple levels well simon d76 so here we get into the thing <laughs> developer developer will have relatively more effect on the highlights and the shadows now richard i think i'm right there will be depending on the nature of the developer there will be some movement in the you can vary the the detail yeah. by, by moving the the sort of foot speed if i want to use that term by by but some developers are inverted commas speed increasing but the old adage remained if it ain't recorded on the film you're not going to develop yeah. it into existence yeah. so there's a number of issues here i think both simon and, and richard and you because how you were ex how you were rating we get onto this business of exposure index so so the, the bit that you're missing the, the bit that simon's missing here is the first step of doing his film speed tests yes so he is confident there, don't you? that that what he's visualizing as that zone three he's got a print in his hand he's made at a certain film speed using a particular developer at a particular temperature with a particular agitation regime if he's you know hand processing it in trays if it's 5.4 and he knows that's going to get that result so in a way simon's on a bit of a hiding to nothing when he starts to say you know which developer <laughs> what temperature how long yeah. you know it's it's kind of it's not going to come together after the fact like that so the so i think i may be piped up in that thread uh, simon that if um, when you look at this area, so if you're starting out and you think, well, okay, I'm metering that shadow and I want it to, to have some detail in, um, but I don't want it to have masses and I don't want it to be blank. And if you're, if you're getting blank film, then instead of rating your film speed at uh, your exposure index, then moves away from box speed. And yeah. maybe if it was a hundred ASA film you were using, then maybe it becomes eighty or normally 60 it goes 64. lower, doesn't it? Because we we all yeah. we're all that sort of common wisdom. That yeah, it is. Norm most people normally find that, and I think you know meters and things are are geared towards positive um, uh, positive materials, not not slide, for instance. And so they yeah. they meters tend to. Yeah, but in the, in, in the circumstances that I, I had, then I would have, let, let's just say that um, all things being equal and I hadn't made a complete holix of the uh, developing, then the, the, the only comment, the only point, pointer would then would be to say instead of, it was FP4 by the way, um, I would have had to have rated the FP4 at probably close to 250. Well, maybe yeah. with your yeah. meter, but it's quite possible. You know, yeah. You know, because we, because it depends on your meter, how it reads. Yeah, you know? with with LC twenty nine, I'm using HP five at two fifty, based on that, you know, that illustration that's on my uh, blog post. So, I mean, don't it, it, don't worry about what you end up rating yeah, the film. With, with, yeah. Limit the equipment you're using. So one camera, one meter. If you're finding that in either with with your meter, if you're 
in order to get the results you want, your shadows where you want, you're having to rate it at 250. Well, rate it at 250. Yeah. Mm. And then you know, you know. Yeah. You may well find if you then used a different system, it might be might be and, a, and actually we can answer a little bit of James's question here because if he's if he's doing that, if he's rating his film, say at 250 and he's sending it off to his lab, then he's got a, an idea about normal processing times. If they've just processed it and he's happy with the shadow detail, then he can kind of work with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's about effectively pushing and pulling the film then, isn't it? Um, yeah. And telling the lab to do, you know, I shot it at this. Do it, Could you process it at that? Well, Is that right? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't... Uh, to be honest, I just wouldn't worry about pushing and pulling in those terminologies because people get themselves in the right old muddle and palaver about these terms you, the fact is how you've you've exposed that shadow with a film speed that you've decided is got to be 250 it's nothing to do with yeah. wanting to push it or pull it it's just a fact that in order for you to get your shadows placed where you want them you are rating your film using your equipment at um, 250 now that you know someone else using that uh, in that same scene i might be metering it and i'm you know, I'm fine. I'm finding that I'm using FP4 at one two five at box speed, or maybe, or maybe eighty to give me those shadows. But with your equipment and your and your regime, yeah, that may be where you're having to rate the film. So, but, so, but, I, I, so the, what you tell, sorry, mate, but what you tell the lab at that point is really based on your next step, which is metering the the highlights. Yeah, and if you find that it's like ten stops from that anchor position. Yeah. Then you just tell them, I want you to reduce the development by thirty percent or something. You know that that's probably a, not a bad place to start. Do you see? I, so, I, I do. I, I just want to make just a, a, a little point there about rating at two fifty in the circumstances of, of the of, of of what I've done. Um, so that that wouldn't have been just a simple matter. I mean, I'm just thinking about the the people listening now that uh, was inexperienced as I am that to have got the look that I was trying to achieve there it wouldn't have just been a matter of metering it uh, or rather set, setting my meter to 250 um, I still would have gone through that process of um, working out where's when I when I thought zone five is yes and and then dropping it by two 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 stops on that particular point a- to ab- make sure absolutely yeah. yes yeah. absolutely yes because once you've so we're not just saying you use that with, with your camera and your meter. I would do this a few times before you decided this is exactly what you're, how you're going to use FP4. But it could well be that with that camera and that meter, for, from now until the future, with the, yeah. you're going, you're always going to rate um, FP4 at 250. At 250 yeah. And then you forget about that. But then, so. That becomes your exposure index for your film, 250. Then you just forget about it. So you come to your scene, you point your meter at that shadow. You set and, 250 uh, on the meter. With your, yes, yep. with 250 on the meter, and you drop your exposure by the fact that you've already, you know, in your head, someone's telling you that you've already underexposing. Well, you're not. You've determined your own speed for that film using your equipment. So the first step is always to test your exposure at different film speeds using some information that Richard's got or do a Google search about yeah. basic zone system tests. There are lots of other things involving putting a black cap, putting your lens cap over shooting um, uh, and then doing another test with your zone five image, but changing the shutter speed and then do things when you develop the film, does it 
uh, does zone three appear where you know are you just getting a hint of texture are you getting no texture and so there's a quite a lot of guides out there online about film testing to determine your own exposure index yeah so that, don't get hung up over this exposure index. No, you, you, we almost want to be able to take expo un, under and over exposure out of Ad, the term, yes. terminology because that yeah. is really confusing. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, yeah, it, that, and this this also demonstrates the. I mean, so so many. You know, we, I think we almost hear it almost every podcast we ever do, um, and it's a case of settle on your equipment and and settle on your film as 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 well uh, because then at least at the point where you're actually trying to learn your craft well then you, you know can come up with repeatable do, results do you know what uh, there'd be loads of people out there who, who use all sorts of different films and they're just they wouldn't even think about placing shadows and developing yeah. to, and they're, and they're more than happy if you, if you move into and that's perfectly fine let's yeah. not take the fun out of this yeah I, if you go and see, go to an exhibition and go and see um, one of the, a master printer, go and see Tim Rudman's pictures, go and see if you can see an Ansel Adams picture, and uh, go and see Bruce Barnbaum's and Slot Canyon pictures, and then Les McLean. Go and see, hold a print in, print in your hand, and there's this term about the print is kind of singing and glowing to you. Yeah. Now, they've, they haven't just achieve this glowing print through um you know dancing from one film to the other and not giving a hoot about exposure and development they've mastered some of these techniques now they've got darkroom experience as well which is helping them you know tim rudman uses a bit of what he calls liquid sunshine which is a little very dilute photographic bleach and you, you know you can do all those things mm. but fundamentally barry thornton is another one the late barry thornton they're all talking about fine prints print and there is a difference between a print that i'd make nine times out of ten and suddenly i've got one and i and i'm and the highlights are glowing that the shadows have got some depth to them and the mid-tones are beautiful there's lovely tonality and and then you're working towards this thing that these guys would call a fine print yeah and then you do need to have some understanding about placing shadows and how developing works but for for lots of people who are out there you know, they're just having loads of fun with their cameras and y y they're not too worried if the, you know, they're scanning them through Instagram or whatever. Yeah, it depends and on what, your workflow, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Because film's it really does. forgiving. There's yeah. exposure latitude in film, which is great. And actually what a lot of people will be doing is exposing 35mm film, having it scanned and then processing it on Lightroom or something. And you can get really, really nice results doing that. So it... it you know. So that actually leads us on to um, part two of uh, James's, his question. He says, James says, also somewhat related to the above, in these days of hybrid workflows, in brackets, film negative digital scan, I've heard that a thinner negative is more desirable for post-processing flexibility. Since the zone system was invented with an analog workflow in mind, do I need to adapt its parameters to a hybrid workflow? Um, <laughs> some some mm. film does scan easier than other film. Um, so it depends on your scanner. It depends on what you're doing to it in post-processing, how you're doing that. Um, if, if a negative is 
thoroughly well developed, overdeveloped, maybe. Yeah. Maybe overdeveloped and overexposed. Does the normal film scanner like my Epson V500 that I'm staring at, would that struggle more? Yeah, I think so. And I think you're more likely to get into those blocked up highlights. And yeah, mm. yeah. Because I mean, I've noticed that for me, in my own work, my darkroom made negatives are much denser, have become more dense, I think, really looking at them as I've become better at it and more accurate with it. Um, but there are certain types of film that seem to lend themselves to scanning really well. Um, so Delta 100 is a good example in black and white. Um, XP2 is good, but then that's a slightly odd case because it's uh, color film, which you process C41 and you print black and white. What is it about Delta 100, do you think, Richard? That um, I think I, I'm not sure what the, the exact answer to this is. I think I remember reading somewhere that with the more modern film emulsions, they tend to scan better, but I don't know whether. So I the T, T, T Maxi things and Deltas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. I'm not. A, I'm not the world's expert on scanning. The the the, the old experts would tell you that you should produce. A negative for, 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 and I think this would probably hold up for, yeah, dark room and scanning. If you want to avoid excessive grain, for example, and highlights that are blown out, you should produce the thinnest possible negative that would still print and give you those yeah. tonality we're talking about, from detailed shadows to highlights that are in control. So you can, as you, you can give your black and white film an extra stop because you think you ought to. Uh, and that that's probably fine to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the the fine printers would start from the fact that you're going to have to start with a negative that isn't so dense that you're going to have unwanted grain. If you want grain, then, then yeah, it depends what you're after, doesn't it? What you're after, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I would be more inclined to experiment a little bit with different film types in this instance. And it, again, it depends if it, if James is shooting roll film or sheet film, you know. But yeah, I think I'd go down the film route first before worrying too much about the density of the negative. Yeah, I think I think we've now we've specifically asked this question before. Um, I asked it to to Matt Marash, and I think it's something that it's probably worth just going back over again because people don't listen to every, every yeah. podcast. And th that terminology about thin and thick negatives and density and 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 so on with these negatives. Could you could you give a a description about what we're talking about with with that phrase? Yeah, so it's it's. It actually comes back to what we were talking about in terms of you exposing that negative and thinking about the shadows. You know, um, the, the the thing that you don't want to do with film is not produce enough exposure so that there isn't actually anything registered on the film. So that it's it's that it's that we're referring to as density. How how much is the film exposed? Has the film reacted with the light enough for there to be discernible shapes on there that you can you can work with and you can print with? So if you underexpose a negative too much, there's not enough exposure to the, the, the film, um, then there's nothing to print. There's, there's no tone there at all. Uh, and I think with digital, it's become the other way around, hasn't it? That if you overexpose a digital, your, you know, your highlights become pure white and then there's no tone information 
there at all. So the common wisdom is that you're reversing, you know, your practice and going not exposing to the right, as it were, but not overexposing if it's digital, you know, and exposing more generously if it's film. So just just in in, in another way of looking at it, then a and I'm not talking about necessarily correct exposure now. Yeah. But, uh, a something that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. But but, uh, but I'm just thinking now a a dense negative could be something that is um that, that that's effectively heading towards overexposure and a and a thin negative is heading towards underexposure is that is that fair comment yeah yeah and but again there's always caveats aren't there because, well that's it and and, yeah. and the next part of that is there's going to be like a, a gold would i be right in thinking there's like a goldilocks zone in the middle where you it could be heading towards one way or the other and it still work it, it will well, still work but it yeah, might work is, better for one thing or than, than another hence scanning versus printing but they're both correctly exposed or correctly developed negatives yeah, and I think that this is something I was thinking about when you were describing your situation. And I was, I think Ansel Adams has this phrase of a flexible negative, doesn't he? One that's that's exposed in such a way that you've got the tones to work with, and then you can make those decisions. Because actually, the thing we didn't talk about in in your example was what control have you got in the dark room with this negative? You know, because there's things you can do there. You you know, we were talking earlier about John Blakemore challenging people to print dark or light. And, and there's things that you can do after the fact, but you want you want your negative to have those shapes and tones built into it to work with in the first place. So, in in, in simple terms, if you're you, when you're talking about creating the, a certain kind of density of of the negative, um, you're for depending on what your output is going to be for that negative. Yeah. The point where you actually take the photograph, the initial exposure, has no real bearing on that. Would that be fair to say? And, um, and really, it's more about the development side will produce you out if you can uh, modify it to be towards the dent or, dense or the thin side. We're actually back to that whole thing about your own film speed there, I think. Well, and your all, own, all, and your own to, practice. All, and your yeah. own... I'm just thinking about all things being equal now you know it is in 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 general terms as you can you can have a if you if you're evaluating a negative and and you you look at a, a th an area of shadow which was so on a negative that would be the thinner area yeah if you're looking for an area of shadow and you're getting no detail there at all even though you think in your head that should be sort of mid gray then that's that's some underexposure because exposure affects the shadows. If you're if you've got a um, a negative where you've got plenty of shadow detail, but they still look as thin as hell, then maybe you've got oxidized developer or um, or that, that would be under development. Yeah. So you, that's how you tell. Yeah. Uh, one one to t'other. If you've made up, uh, so make up fresh chemicals with fresh developer. Yeah, definitely. Follow, follow the man. If you're starting out on this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't take any risks about using. Something don't use like a six-month-old open developer pot because. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm going to back, back the question back in while we while we're still in this zone. <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, and uh, you've you've done you've you've got fresh developer and and, and so on and you're, yeah. you're going to develop your your, your negative and. It says that it's going to be for eight minutes, and is is there something you can do in that timing to decide whether you actually want that 
better for printing or better for scanning within that but development the, time? Or is that, am I just completely off the mark? The answer is next time, which again is back to the what the zone system encourages you to do. So you, you in that example, you develop at eight minutes and then you see what happens. You scan it, you print with it. Is it really hard to get the highlights to come through if I'm printing in the dark room? You know, is it, have I got blown out highlights on the scanning? And then you adjust from there. That's the key thing. Yeah, you have to evaluate and adjust. If your highlights are constantly blown out with your eight minutes, yeah. next time, try seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you can be more yeah. methodical in the testing, which is back to walls and towers I, I and things. And, I'm, you know. not sure, I'm, not, I'm still not sure if that's really answering the question, though. As in, we're not talking about a correct exposure here. We're, we're talking about this flexible negative principle and like a, well, a Goldilocks zone where it can be it can be dense or less dense, but still be correctly exposed. Uh, well, you can't get away from the two. They're interlinked together. Yeah. They're interlinked together. The flexible negative would be, John Blakemore would say he wants to get... Uh, on his negative, a range of four to five stops. You know, so he, if his if his scene in front of him is registering seven stops between where he wants to see his living blacks. So John is John is looking primarily for these blacks where there's some detail still. So zone three. Uh, so he's then metering the highlights, and as long as it's uh, four to five stops, he knows that he can. Develop in his ID 11 one plus one for eight minutes. I know this because he told me. Um, and that gives him a negative which has shadow detail and highlight detail. Yeah. So the negative has captured those extremes of tonality where he wants them. And that is his, by definition, his flexible negative. So if he then wants to uh, print a negative with no shadow detail in it at all, he can. If he wants to print it with bags of shadow detail, he can because it's got shadow detail. If he wants to print it so the highlights become specular, he can do that. Yeah. If he wants to print it so the highlights are glowing, he can do that because the highlights are contained within his negative. So that's what he means. If you've got a negative which is uh, which uh, where your shadows are just blank, you'll never be able to produce a, 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 a living black because the, the shadows have no detail at yeah. all. And there's uh, also examples of people like Adams going back and reprinting earlier negatives, but with a slightly different approach. And that's like the more contrast the image or darkening certain parts differently. The, the press photographers, now I, I, was looking for, I was looking for the quote, and I can't find it in that book that I recommended to you, The Amateur Photographer's Handbook by Aaron Sussman. And this is, this has got all sorts of good stuff in it. But he talks about something that I'd I'd read about before about looking at a negative and holding it over newspaper print. Richard, you might remember this. If you can read, then you should still be able to read your negative your oh, newspaper. Across that, that your newspaper. Right, yeah. your, you should still be able to read your text through the densest part of the negative. Right. That then is that then gives you. That's what the newspaper print people would have done if they're evaluating negatives they would have yeah they would have stuck it over some newspaper if, if anyone buys newspapers now and if you can still read your text through there not you know not as clear as day but if you can just see it and read it then you your negative is probably not far off development wise yeah see i think this is where we come back to having i always think about 
um, being able to kind of close the loop in a way. So if I'm making decisions about a process, am I going to be able to see that all the way through? So in the darkroom example, it's being able to expose film and print it myself. So that, you know, I think people get sort of hung up on the density of a negative or the, an the answer is actually in your own work and your own printing. How are you finding that to print and to work with? Are you able to get a range of tones, you know, that you want a, a certain grade you're in, when you're, you're printing? In, and it, your enlarger is going to be different from Absolutely. Mine. So I've got an institutional darkroom where each enlarger is different. And students will come to me and say, but I printed for this time last week and it's different today. What's going on? And so that could be well, a fun, and larger. Yes. So, I mean, it could be that you've got a, a black and white, what would be marketed as a black and white enlarger. And they had, that could well have a, a light bulb in it, in old, yeah. in old, in old money, which, yeah. which probably may or may not have a, a opaque covering around it. And that could be projecting through a set of condenser lenses. Yeah. So that would be a condenser enlarger. And by definition, they are, um, a, you get a, You'll you'll get a more contrasty print. That's a sort of contrastier system. If you're using a color head, where the illumination is different, mine's got some tungsten um, uh, sort of uh, lamps in it, and and it yeah. it fires through a light box to soften and diffuse the lighting before yeah. it goes down through the negative. So you get a softer. It's condenser condenser enlargers negative blemishes show up more that's a different yeah. thing yeah. but so my i know now i've with the prints i make with the negatives i develop it from my way of working i know that i'm print i can get a nicely toned a nicely balanced print on my devere enlarger if when i set it to grade three yeah right uh, and so i know that that's your Not, kit. It's your uh, yeah, your that's work. How, yeah. But yeah. someone else on a someone else on a if you if I took that negative and used a black and white enlarger, I'd probably in order to get the same tonality in my print, maybe I'm down to zone um, grade two, for yeah. example. If I'm for, if I find that I'm forever having to set grade five in there, then that's telling me there's some probably something gone astray with that particular. Uh, but with that particular negative, it's either very, very thin. Maybe I've underexposed it or yeah. something. So I'm I'm in the realms and of trying to rescue it. So I know that if I'm once I'm start using grades that are outside my norm to get a pleasing print, I'm probably working with a negative that I've cocked up somehow. Yeah, and your paper also is having an effect because different papers will have different curves. Yeah, I don't mess around with too many different papers, really. Well, I've started to a little bit yeah. for, for lith printing and stuff, but that's another story. Yeah. But the same principle applies. So you've got all of these different elements. You've got yeah. your camera, its shutters, shutter. You've got your light meter. You've got how you're processing the film. You've got your own enlarger with its bulb. And is it condenser, diffuser, and all the rest? And your paper. Cold cathode, whatever that is. Yeah. But that's another one, isn't it? Yeah. And temperature of your developer and how you've diluted your developer. <laughs> but it's brilliant in a way as well. It's, you know, it's this wonderful craft where there's these tiny, you know, it's a human thing because we're making all of these slight changes in our own work and it's, there's a fingerprint of us in our work because of all of this. I'm going to ask, I'm going to just move on to the third part of James Thorpe's 
question. Yeah. I, I was going to say, Andrew, I think before we move on to that one, I, I, I think that's that's just um, there's there's a there's a question about about what I was doing last week, which I think probably carries on from where we, where we've just oh, been yeah. talking. Yeah, about. we didn't really get to the end um, of it, and and that was. Um, the the scene that I took, um, I subsequently learned that was probably about three stops between the, the point I measured and the and the, and the brightest highlight. Hmm. So my main concern was having grey gray highlights. Hmm. Um, that was that was that was what I was because I was bringing the exposure down to make certain areas black, which would therefore mean I, I would also um, my my highlights wouldn't be as bright. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. What what would be the advice in in that kind of situation? So say we're looking at three to four stops difference between an area I want to have black, but I want the 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 water area in this long exposure to be perfectly exposed. So that that's al almost to the point of blowing out, but there's still detail there, and I, and I want my blacks to be black. So it's a, I want a, I want a really contrasty scene. Um, what would be the the, the process there in the dark room, where, assuming I'd actually measured it correctly uh, at, at the time. So you would have, if you'd, if you'd followed the zone system and you'd metered your highlights and found that there was only a three or four stop difference in that scene, you'd still be going from your um, exposure from the shadows, but you would, you would be extending your development to move the highlights from, you know, zone six or wherever they were, five or six to seven or eight. That's and then it. you That's would have that negative to take into the dark room, which is the negative that and Andrew's been describing with all the tones available to you to hopefully print in a mid grade to then have that flexibility to change as you desire, once that, you're in there. That's it, and I, and the eureka moments just 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 come to me because that's that business about the n plus two <sighs> or something like yeah, that, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. It actually follows the zones. Yes, yeah. but you only know through some testing. Yeah, even if it's rudimentary testing, like I'm following the big dev chart at my eight minutes, but I'm finding that for most of my shots then there's no detail in the highlights well that's suggesting that's probably not end development for your system that could well be n plus one or even yeah. n plus two so make a note actually eight minutes is going to give me a really hot negative with blown out highlights so i'm going to yeah. make so the, take off what's a good rule of thumb richard 15 percent I don't know. Yeah, that's the one that's always quoted, isn't it? Fifteen or twenty yeah. percent. So work take on off, that take off fifteen percent, and that drops your highlights down a zone. Yeah. No, and that could, that could end up being your sorry, Simon. That could end up being your your end development, or it might be n plus one. But again, remember, it's it's specific to you. Somebody mm. else might be saying, "Oh, that's fine for me. That works. I get these negatives." But yeah, don't, don't, don't forget worry about, about that. Yeah. Uh, but extending extending the process that 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 will make my my. It, it solves the highlight problem that I have. So I make I make sure that those those highlights are, are, are exactly the point I want them to be. Um, I take it well. Isn't the aren't we running the risk of? And I think you did allude to this earlier, um, Andrew. That if the I guess, I guess if if I'd actually place something um, to the point where I wanted it to black be black, it should still be black, and no matter of extra development will actually bring back something that isn't there. 
Um, so in theory, that those black areas won't start to grey up um, just because I'm extending the development for the for the highlights. Is that is that fair? Or Theoretically, what? yeah, you shouldn't they shouldn't move really because there, there will be a little bit of movement, I think, but yeah. not, not so much that you would uh, you would worry about it. And the other the other part of that, there, because yeah, you know, we've got solvent developers and we've got compensating developers. If I've got my, got my terminology correct there, um, and caffeinol was the um, the way that I wanted to do to to do this, which is a compensating developer, which is you know, I basically ran out to take waterfalls because of Wayne Setzer. <laughs> well, Wayne, yeah, I don't. Know, so Wayne, I don't know if you listened to. I didn't listen to that. No, he he uses Caffanol CL developer with some bromide in it because he's using it as stand for stand development. Right. Um, we got onto a full discussion about the benefits of using stand development. Not pe people. Some people just use it because it's like a magic system, apparently. But really, it's designed to control those highlights. And Wayne Wayne's making some beautiful um, fiber prints. And he's using caffeinol with his FP4, yeah. and he's using he's he's using it to uh, give him highlights that are controlled. Matt Marash uses and uh, and other large format photographers use some form of pyro because that has that same compensating effect. Maybe Richard, you could. Um, I haven't see used yeah. I haven't used them. I haven't but, done stand development. But the theory of compensating developers. Yeah, so that is, if as you say, it's about controlling the highlights, isn't it? So yep. if you have exposed generously, then a compensating developer should limit the density of those highlights. Yeah, when I'm when I'm <sighs> when I'm using T Max four hundred, which I've just yeah. started to, and I'm developing it in a compensating developer. In my case, PMK Pyro, yeah, which is an, a commercially available version, Burger or Berger, make it for instance. You can buy that, and I'd thoroughly recommend it. I'm the, the I've done a lot of research online, and I've decided that 200 to 250 is where I should be um, starting to base my exposures. Now I need to then see. If that's working for me, and it is because I'm getting some nice shadow detail, so I'm happy with with my system 200 to 250, and then um, the, the using a very using either a very dilute caffeinol or in my case the pyro. Um, uh, it's it's not allowing those highlights to overdevelop. Now the, the pyro does it in a different way to stand development. Stand development works by being more diluted, doesn't um, it? Being very yeah. diluted. So it, the the area that's achieved the most exposure um, uh, gets uh, expired. The developer runs out of steam quite yeah. quickly because you're not agitating. Yeah. So it's not seeing fresh developer. Whereas the areas that have um, had uh, less exposure... That's right, isn't it? Have I got that yeah. around the right way? They they, carry, they, they carry continue. On. They continue to develop because there's, you know, they've got. Uh, the, it takes longer for the the active elements that developed to uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 be used up. So you're 
there's a natural contrast control. Now, I can't quite remember how Pyro does it, but it has the same sort of uh, someone will tell us on the Facebook group. Yeah. Pyro does act through the because it's a staining developer and does stuff to the um, to the clumps of film grain, but it, it effectively helps you control the. Um, yeah, and it, the, interestingly, the we're kind of going into the same place as with the zone system, but it's just yeah. different. It's a different approach, isn't it? It's a different yeah. recipe and a different flavor. I think to the you, end. using. I think you might have to tweak your times a bit with Pyro now and again, but it's generally the advantage of using those sort of systems is that you end up on quite often a broadly similar time for different films but uh, yeah but my i have got different times for my pmk i'm doing times between 11 and 13 minutes yeah i think but for caffin for stand development in general i think they just generally recommend one time yeah no i mean for me i experimented a little bit with rodinol but a long time ago so i don't i don't use it now mm-hmm so Simon, yeah. can I move on to part three of um, this <laughs> yes. question? Or yeah, yeah, yes, yes, you may. <laughs> so James says, and finally, take an average street scene at night. So you know what I'm going to be. Re- I'm going to be recommending and um, Andrew Sanderson's nighttime photography book again. There, finally, take an average scene at night. A couple of street lamps, maybe an illuminated shop window or two, murky pavement. When I meter that scene with a light meter, it tries to make everything 18% grey, making the scene much too bright. Well, it depends where he's po- where you're pointing your light meter, James, really. I wonder how, whether he's not using a spot meter. Well, it sounds how, like he's using how kind of... Just pointing yeah. it at the scene. Yeah. And you can, depending whether you point it slightly up at those streetlights or slightly down at the murk, is yeah. going to affect... Is it matrix metering? Is it centre-weighted? Is it spot meter? Mm. It all makes a difference, doesn't it? So, how would you, if you're out at night time, Richard? I don't. If you do any um, night time, I don't I, I, actually. I, no, I don't. At all. The same. The same thing um, would apply, though, wouldn't it? It would There's absolutely, no absolutely. We could apply the same principles of looking at those areas that we want to be dark, but with tones and you know um, good highlights, maybe even specular highlights for the bits that are really bright. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can apply exactly the same principles. I think if you're shooting roll film, I think there's quite a few people out there who've written about their own experiences, you know, with nighttime photography and sort of good rules yeah. of them. Um, Ian, I'm thinking of Ian um, Barnaby Nuts was one. That's yeah, Sandeep as well. Um, give me a biscuit. Mm-hmm. Yep. On Twitter. Yep. Sandeep, um, give me a biscuit, and yeah. uh, Ian Barnaby Nut are two. Well, I think Ian's made a couple of blog posts about his nighttime photography hasn't he and maybe yeah produced a little magazine as well yeah and they've got some really good advice on you know rules of thumb for doing it but uh mm-hmm. i don't tend to do any nighttime photography maybe where you live you might get mugged that's why simon doesn't well, go out yeah that's quite possible actually <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah well i've done i've done quite i'm not gonna be able to help answer this question but i've done quite a bit of nighttime photography digitally um, yeah and uh yeah it, it and and that's also with a, a mirrorless camera so you don't really learn that much when you're using a mirrorless camera and sometimes because you just you're looking at the screen you can see what the exposure is going to be and i say look at the screen you're looking through a electronic viewfinder and you you then think oh that's a bit too dark so i'll just compensate in in one direction until it's right 
Um, yeah. So but that's not really teaching you anything, is it, really? But I, I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of l learning, and I'd even go as far as saying do that when you're learning film, you know, take take a DSLR out with you and make some exposures and look at the exposures on the back and think about if that can help you join the dots, then, you know. Yeah, I do, I, I, the other the other thing there, of course, is how different films deal with the with with low light. Um, assuming we're, we're still within, you know, not having to worry about reciprocation when we go. Yeah, over, absolutely. Over yeah, second. but I, I do I do wonder if some some films just would behave differently to a digital camera. In, oh, they would. They will the for way. sure. Yeah, they will. Yeah. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to re rely on a on a digi camera. But the the other side of it is I've used. Um, 35 millimeter cameras with decent meters, such as uh, uh, back in the day, I would do night scenes with a with a contacts camera, and I yeah. used to just point it at the scene in aperture priority and press the button, and I'd yeah, get and, I'd get a scene that was and about the metering right. would know what to do. Yeah, yeah, and the same I did something a couple of years ago with an, an Olympus OM4 Ti um, with a with a, with a night scene, and and it was it, I think it actually it's exposed for about. It, it, I think it was about two minutes. I was, I was, I was in a certain amount of shock. I was beginning to think like, is, is this camera faulty? Yeah. Yeah. Um, surely they can't can't keep on going for that length of time. Um, but he but he did whatever. I don't know what the maximum is, but he, and it and it worked out exactly right. Um, yeah. And that time was somewhere at least a minute longer than the same scene with a with a similar type of lens and a similar aperture on a digital camera. So yeah, the, the, yeah it, definitely, it's not the case. You can just hit one and do the other yeah um in those difficult lighting the scenarios but you can you can apply that principle of repetition that can't you so you can have a go once and then see see where that gets you whether you like it or not and then yes go again and adjust from that that point yeah. you know and and that's where it comes down to making notes of course that isn't yeah so you, not you, being afraid you know to try you know because mm. i think you know a lot of this stuff it, it it's i mean i was thinking this a little bit when i was listening to ben horn talk about large format cameras and there's a lot of photography technical stuff isn't it, that can put people off while you're thinking yeah we've just been talking you know, about it for the last hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay there's that podcast with richard pickup yeah um but you get the point don't you that you know just give it a go <laughs> I think yeah, so, so it, all that stuff is there and I, I love all this detail yeah, and I love reading about it's brilliant. it but it, it but don't let it stop you going out and making pictures yeah absolutely let let it help inform the way you know if it gives you a bit of extra control to free your artistic vision then that's probably what it's best used for yeah don't, don't let it don't be paralyzed into yeah, and I think people are asking the questions for the right reasons, aren't they? Yeah, because they, they want that control. But I think there's a, there's a tendency sometimes for those things to, to become theoretical and then not be, you know, you give it up because you're thinking, well, I just don't know the answer to that, so I won't even try. Richard, your, um, your photography, uh, I think it, predominantly, certainly in the past, has been a lot of street photography. Yeah. Sm small format. Counts. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, is medium format a relatively new venture for you? Um, Sorry, large format. Large format is, yeah. I was looking uh, this morning before coming to the podcast. 
about a few dates of things as if I could get in my mind. And I think I started to write about large format sort of early 2017. Yeah, I saw your so, blog post. That's yeah, when you went to two China. Two and a half years. Yeah. China trip. To Shanghai. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'm 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 new to large format. Um and I I'm learning all the time, I guess, like, you know, a lot of us are working through it and trying it out and, and Well the only real difference is you know having a camera which is you can shift that plane of focus as we as we talked about or as Wayne Setzer talked about quite eloquently a couple of shows back. Um, yeah. and and having to just deal with a bigger negative really but yeah and i suppose the the thing for me the contrast with the street photography is obviously the the whole mo with street photography is that you're out there you're walking you know things are coming mm. to you you everything is very quick um, but with large format it's much more deliberate you're thinking about a location you may be even location scouting before you go there um how did you use your? How did you find yourself using your intrepid? So, if, as a street photographer, if I can call you that, someone yeah. who loves that genre, you've suddenly got this intrepid. You've gone to Shanghai, which really is crying out for small, lightweight handheld yeah. cameras. You know, fan ho, deep shadows, bright sunshine. Yeah. Um, how, how did you end up using your large format intrepid camera? That's a really good question. I think so. I think I was doing the 35mm stuff anyway, so carrying on with that mm. as normal. And then I think, yeah, I did feel a little bit like I was trying to use the large format in a fairly street photography way. And then obviously there's a kind of tension to that. And people kept tripping over your tripod. Well, <laughs> or at least, or I had to keep finding places to sort of... I mean, I think in, in street photography, if you... It, if you've done a lot of it, you're very aware of where your body is and it's a kind of, there's a lot of movement to it, I think. And I, I, I try to use that kind of, I don't know, street craft or whatever, you know, to give it a grand term to kind of be able to set up the five, four where I wouldn't get in the way, but I could still make interesting shots. Although I kind of did get in the way a couple of times. Um, did you end up focusing on life going past you? Were you looking for that sort of, did you set up in an interesting scene and waited for folks to come past in an interesting way? Did you do any formal street portraits saying, come and stand in front of yeah, my... Yeah, I, do, I don't think I quite had the time for it to be that considered in some ways. I think I'd, I'd had mornings or afternoons where I just thought, right, I'm taking the 5-4 out now. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's an image that I made of a kind of derelict building and a view and there's a kind of modern part of Shanghai behind to contrast with this derelict building but there was a guy in the image so it's a kind of a street shot uh, and I hadn't intended him to be in it necessarily because he was in as I was setting up the fire four he was around and about the scene and I just concentrated on the building but then I suppose the street photography me kicked in and thought well he's doing interesting things if I can place him in the frame somewhere that I like, then, you know, I'll go with that. Hmm. And since then, though, I've seen your work featured in um, the Intrepid's own little yeah. publication. And your, yours was the one with the two surfers stood there? That's no, the that's not that, me. That's, that's not you. Else. I keep thinking yeah. that was you. Which one there's, was yours? There's an alleyway one. Ah. Uh, there's the one in the building. And there's one of... Um, 
by the the riverside. Okay. Uh, some posts. But it was interesting to see how, because I, I guess you're really conscious when you're a stranger in a strange place. You're really <laughs> conscious of how people are going to react to you. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting to see, like the alleyway one, I'd set up in this alleyway and it just, just started to rain. So I was a bit conscious of the rain. Um, but I was kind of on the cusp of, should I be here or not? Because it's kind of the back of somebody's mm-hmm. houses. Um, and as I was setting up, this guy came out and I thought, he came out of a sort of back door and I thought, oh. Did he have a meat cleaver with him? Well, I was <laughs> kind of thinking something like that. He's going he's gonna to approach me. He's going to say, you know, what on earth are you doing here? And it was just surreal because he kind of he walked quite close to me and then he just walked off as if I wasn't there. Mm. And I was like, well, is this the kind of thing in China? Am I just invisible? <laughs> it's kind of, you know. Maybe you'd ventured into an alternate reality. Maybe, yeah. But I think that just on the whole, I think there was a lot of respect for, I mean, somebody else in a different, I think on the, on, in the car park where that derelict building was, there was a guy who drove into the frame as I was taking that shot. And then he saw me and he kind of moved his car because oh. he knew that he was in the frame. So there's a lot of respect for kind of cameras and photographers. Hmm. Yeah. So what's your latest um, use for the large format? Are you finding yourself now moving towards subjects and ideas that are su- more suited to that medium? Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm a little bit of a hiatus point with it because my difficulty is my advantage of being here, uh, you know, my place of work, full-time, being able to drip in with the development, my disadvantage is that I can't get out. So Mm. I can't go places. Um, And that really struck me, obviously, listening to Ben Horn's um, podcast because he, you know, has that whole thing, doesn't he, where he ventures out and into the wilderness. Yeah, he goes off. I I think I'm just watching him at the moment. He's he's gone to a new place in his latest series of videos he's in yeah he said he i think he said 14 hour drive or something wow ridiculous wow (laughs) so i think there's a bit of me that's really envious of that but then on the other hand you make work in your own conditions don't you in your own environments i've started to do a few more portraits with a 10 by 8 which i've really enjoyed oh you've moved on to even well i I kind of I, i kind of yeah um is that the intrepid that's the intrepid again yeah is that the latest one the mark ii yeah, and that and that's that's no sorry that's I I had the original one. Okay. Um, so I wrote a review of the original one, um, and yeah, I just I did a portrait of my dad the other week, and yeah, I'm really enjoying that because there's obviously a, a a certain character to there's a certain grandioseness to a ten by eight portrait, you know. Are you finding the move up from? Um five by four to 10 by eight, you finding uh, what, what are the main differences you're finding apart from the sheer size of the camera, but is it, are you, is your workflow changing in any other way? You know, the look um, of... I think what, what appealed to me about 10 by eight was contact printing. Oh yeah. So I've spent a lot of time um, working with a, um, coming up with a system where I could print uh, with white, 
with a white border. Right. Which is actually, it sounds like a very simple thing, but it turned out to be quite a laborious thing to get right mm. because I'm using. Um, what size inkjet. paper are you? Oh, you. So I'm, I'm using oh. sort of, I don't know, you know, nine by 14, no, a bit bigger than that, 11 by 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. So printing the 10 by 8 negative in the middle, but using a mask printed on an inkjet machine. Right. So I spent quite a lot of time getting the mask right. Yeah, so you're getting a very um, th- the mask is very thin, isn't it? Then so you're not. So it's yeah. So it's kind of like I suppose it's about roughly two inches, an inch and yeah. a half wide, all the way around so the paper. A bl- so a black acetate frame. That's it. Yeah. So I ended up using um, a picture frame. Yeah. So a picture frame that's been taken apart with the acetate mask against the glass, and then the negative on top of uh-huh. on top of that, and then the paper yeah. on top, and then the frame is reassembled and. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's been kind of technically challenging, but good good fun to do because it now means that I've got prints with this, you know. And are you using the enlarger as a light source? Yeah. And are yeah. you using? Um, so it's multi grade and it's. And you're yeah. using different contrast. You can still. Can yeah, you can it's still a multi grade enlarger. So yeah, you can change so, it just the same. So you're, you can change the color of the light accordingly. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. So are you really, doing? Are you doing any other normal darkroom procedures? Um, Dodging yeah, or so I was, yeah, so I've I've been doing all that. I think it's it take, there's a bit a bit of a learning curve because you can't see the image so well. Yes, it's quite dark. That's right. Yeah. So you have to get used to <laughs> seeing. I mean, I can understand because Ansel Adams built a and larger, didn't he? Still, for, even when he was printing ten by eight, he projected his images. Yeah. So he could physically intervene. He could see the image projected, and he could physically intervene with his dodging and burning. But no, I've been doing it the kind of the cheap way and mm. you know but that's okay because i've been learning stuff by doing that yeah i've done a bit of contact printing and i and that's why I, I, I thought oh i can still dodge and burn but i said i can't see what i'm doing <laughs> yeah it's like i'm gonna have to guess where my hands are yeah not i think where my hands are where the shadow is i remember at a certain stage in my printing just reading somebody say just rehearse it and that helped oh, an awful okay. lot yeah, and yeah. actually yeah. without the paper in, and if you just look at it and see where things are on the negative so mm-hmm. i mean on the picture i did of my dad there's kind of uh, he's wearing this hoodie which i really wish i'd asked him to take off because he's got a hoodie and he's got a shirt on underneath but he's got these two great big white cords on his hoodie which i had to burn in mm-hmm. and so <laughs> i in, ended up having to make quite specific little masks that fit the shape of it oh, so it could be like an inch you know, of the paper and you when know. i've had really tiny bits in a print that are just bugging me like that do you know what yeah. I've, I've done in the past i've got a very soft pencil <laughs> I've, I've just i've just i've just applied the graphite to that and then with my finger i've just yeah. rubbed it in gently do you and know just, what just, do you know what works really well nobody notices no absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant yeah. yeah yeah well that's that's all part of the fun of it for me, i've been um I can't spend any money at the moment, but I, I, I've often thought, hmm, and when I picked up the eight by ten Intrepid at the photography, yeah. photography show, I went on. And in fact, if you go onto the um, uh, large format photography podcast Facebook group banner page, you'll see me and Simon and Max from Intrepid, yeah, in deep conversation. Well, I'm talking, and Max and Simon are just looking confused. <laughs> confused. <laughs> But that was that was the small camera. But the eight, the eight ten. I thought, wow. And I was thinking, I've got to justify why I'd want to, why I'd want 
that you know when i'm yeah quite happy with the smaller large format and i think like you the what so i'm doing some eight by ten work now but in pinhole camera and i'm yeah. contact, i'm contact printing and i'm enjoying that different that contact print process yeah and i thought well maybe that's how i would use like you that's how, unless you've got an eight by ten enlarger then yeah you know you, the, you're gonna that's what you're gonna do isn't it steve, yeah absolutely steve, steve segsby who's been on this show he has a he has one of those big enlargers, so he wow. can, you know, it takes up virtually the whole of his house. Yeah, they are huge, aren't they? Yeah. But it's, for me, it was just, well, it's going to add another layer of confusion to my workflow. Do I take this camera? Do I that camera? At the moment, yeah. if I'm shooting large format, I've got very few decisions to make. If I had the bigger one, I'd have... Other ones. So I'd, yeah. Yeah. When would I use this camera? When would I use the other? And I would be, in, I would be, in, I would be paralyzed by indecision. <laughs> yeah. See, I think in some ways I've used the two together. So I've used oh, okay. the 5.4 to do a lot of the sort of testing and the kind of more mobile stuff. And then I'm using a 10 by 8 when I know that I can, <laughs> you know, I've got that opportunity to to take my time and set it up and be in the right place. So, yeah, they do kind of work together. Okay. Can we ask you about... Uh, if I, I'll, I'll get M, M from Emulsive will shoot me if we don't ask this. You did this... <laughs> You did this study. It might have even been an emulsive blog post. I don't know, or maybe, or maybe he shared it. On let's just call it Pebbles. Oh yes, the Pebble Project. So, do you want to tell folks about the Pebble Project and what uh, what you've learned from it and yeah. what, what, what we can take from it? Um, so it came it came about the shot itself was stolen from a friend of mine, uh, a guy called Jevin Tooth. And what Jevin had done, he's, he'd, he'd, he was doing some kind of testing, but he'd used pebbles. And I was really impressed by just how he had this idea. He wanted a range of tones, so he'd use these stones. And these stones gave him this range of tones. And it came about because there was a, a point in one year where I'd sat down and I'd started to ask myself, what film and de developer combinations had I used so far and which were my favourites? Because I think I'd probably been... Like a lot of people, I'd used lots of different films and lots of different developers. And I was thinking, can I not now sort of identify something that's a bit more my preference? But I've got all of these choices. So I actually started to map it out. And then I thought, oh, I, I've got these different, I've got these prints. And I know I like, I don't know, um, I, uh, Ilfasol. Uh, S and Delta 100 and I know I like it in that print but then I had a different print that I liked in a different film and developer combination with a different subject matter different light and so I kind of thought well I can compare but I can't compare like for like mm -hmm. so I started to think about using the pebbles as a way of just setting up um, some shots that would be the same ostensibly um, but with the, these different film and developer combinations, which turned out to be a heck of a lot of work, <laughs> as you'd imagine. So shooting, you know, um, a few frames on one roll um, and then, well, or shooting a roll rather of a scene set up with specific lighting with the pebbles and then chopping that film, doing one, in one developer, one in another developer, or changing the, you know, uh, the development time and seeing how that came out. 
So in the dark, you were say exposing a roll of thirty-five millimeter film. Was it thirty-five millimeter? It was thirty. It was all thirty-five. Yeah, that, film, that yeah. would make sense. And then you were just because it's the same scene, you were just randomly cutting a section of that and developing it in something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I'd have these rolls at different stages and different, you know. Wow. So it be- and did it make kind of, life easy for you, or did it just make I, life I, even more? Yeah, I kind of. I I think I obviously got fed up of it. At a point and stop doing it <laughs> and and you know move back to actually taking pictures of stuff yeah um so there's there's obviously that aspect to it but i think actually as a as a learning exercise and as a teaching tool yeah it's really good and i still use it so when i when i'm faced with a group of students and i'm and i'm talking to them about developer and then i say and of course you can change developer for a different look mm. and they all just are kind of going he's got this plastic bottle in front of him that he's waving at us and we've got no idea what he's talking about. I can now bring up those pebbles and say, look, this is the, this is this film in this developer. And look, you can see more grain or there's a different, at least so that they know roughly what I'm, I'm talking about. And where can people find these, this pebble project? So it's on my website under resources. There's a, you know, set of menus at the top. And if you click on resources, there's a drop down and, and you can get to it that way. But I did do a series of blog posts about it as well, where I was trying to describe the differences between the, the films and developer. But I think I was explaining earlier to Andrew that, um, yeah, that, that became tricky to do that. So I was just going to say, I've, I've been on your page for a while, just just looking at these the, the different results there. Yeah. Um, I, I, if if I may, I don't know if it's with within your ability on the website or not, but it, it would be great if you could just click from one straight into another. Uh, yeah. How things are. You look at one and you think, I'll oh, look at something else, and you've got to come out. Yeah, to yeah. It's not like Lightroom or something, is it, where you can yeah. do a sort of comparing. Or yeah. At least, or at least one just goes going more morphing into the into the next. It just it just you sort of forget what the first one was like. By the time yeah. No, it's hard. That, that is. It is. Yeah. yeah. But I think you, you know, in in terms of say coming back to the earlier discussion, if somebody says something abstract like, I like the look of the tones in my images with mm. Perceptol then actually you can go and see HP5 and Perceptron and see actually there is, you know, those shadow tones are lighter given those manufacturers developer time. So there's another, you know, there's another link to our earlier complicated discussion. Yeah. So I'm just looking at different, different ones now. I'm just looking at the difference between... Ep, they're all epi4 and you've got DDX, DDX uh, 1 plus 4 10 minutes and, and 20 degrees and then there's another one with uh, uh, Rodinal uh, one, 1 to 50 there and it's 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 really interesting just just to see the difference and the, and they're very well it, it's all subtle but it the, it's clear as well at the same there are differences yeah, yeah. I think are. this is when I've made when I've made prints from different film stocks and different developers I've been broadly i be i say I, i'm happy with that and you you don't really notice the difference in in pr- certainly in printing until you then look at it printed either a different way you know because you can be there are so many variables so many ways you can be happy because it's about what makes you happy really so you can yeah. produce a print and it has a certain look and you can be really happy with it and that could be because of the film you use developer you use 
and you can then go and use a different combination and the end result speaks to you in much the same way so you know it's all good isn't it it is yeah (laughs) really really ineloquent but i know what i mean yeah no i know what you mean i think that it's about it, it shows you the choice that's there yeah. And it, and there's a depth to this, isn't there? That if if you want to investigate those things, if you yeah. was, you know, if you're inclined as I was at that point and you want to to take that journey, then it's there and that medium will reward you with that information. But yeah. likewise, if you don't have the time for that, or you're not interested and you're and you're more interested how a person looks on film and you just want to get to that result, then you go for that, you know. Yeah. Uh, your website is um, I have to say congratulations on being such a generous person. Really, oh, I think it, it's probably because of your teaching background, and and I I just know from interacting with you online how uh, you know how encouraging you are and how you share information. And yeah. your website your website's got um, a lot of stuff on there. You use this in line with your teaching. You point your students to yeah, because I think that that was if I can sort of vaguely remember the. The reason for starting the website was obviously it's to do with my own work and getting that out there, but it's sharing that engagement with photography yeah. um, and that that I suppose that passion that I've got for it. You know that I I share with students and and it and it sits very well alongside my teaching. Um, I mean, I teach level three students, so these are kind of A level mm-hmm. um, level students. So that often isn't. A huge op- amount of time where you can go into a lot of technical detail because it's it's more orientated around the basics of you know of exposure and th- for the technical aspects you only go so far but i think to have a resource that's digital to say to a student well if you want to find out more about that have a look at that blog post or i did something on that or you can look more about that camera you know it's a really brilliant thing to have that to be able to point in that direction yeah, and and you've written a lot for Emulsive.org, haven't you? Yeah, he. I, I think in some ways, he really helped me because early on, um, I'd started Twitter. I think I was encouraged by one of the directors that worked at college, who was very connected in his digital work, um, and I, I sort of followed him a little bit to start the social media. But um, M was somebody that I met online quite quickly. And he sort of said, well, would you like to write something for Emulsive? Um, which I did, which is about visualization. Yeah. And he was very good at promoting that. He and is think, good at that. And he does that for people, doesn't he? Yeah. He kind of takes them under his wing a little bit and puts them out there. Again, I mean, you mentioned generosity. He's very good at, very generous about giving people that, that limelight. And that really helps, I think. He is good. Yeah. Yeah. If he wasn't all over the internet, we'd have him on this show, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's he had gets, too much time. He gets enough publicity too much exposure. without us yeah. talking to him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's also just banned me from one of his Facebook groups as well. Oh, has so, he? Uh, he? He has, yeah. So, um, oh, you're, is that the oh, Facebook group? Yeah, he's, he's got one, the hypersensitive. He's, he's got his own podcast, oh, it's the yeah. Hypersensitive um, Photographers Podcast, which. Uh, is an interesting podcast. Um, but, well, I uh, banned you from it. What, have you, have you what, yeah, what did well, you do? Well, it's it's a, he, he had this theme 
uh, or with the podcast, uh, the, the the last one they did was they just put a new one out, and uh, and they taught uh, he, he he gave a recipe in this photography podcast about how to make crumpets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, I haven't and, listened to that. I did. I could. I heard about it, and I thought I just can't be bothered to listen to it. Oh, I, to be honest, I thought it was the best thing on the whole podcast. I thought it was brilliant, and uh, and it it then it then led to uh, the because. I suppose that there's a there's a small group uh, that's attached to that uh, podcast, and um, and the group pretty much ran with it. Uh, this this theme about baked goods, and so the the whole of the month um, there was there was nothing to do with photography, or 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 maybe there might have been a photo study of eating crumpets and uh, and and, stu- and stuff like that, and other baked goods. And uh, I think Em and Hamish decided. We've had enough of this. Um, we're not going to do it anymore, and uh, and so on. So, in the, and he and he quite clearly said, you know, if anybody puts a picture up there oh. um, of, of <laughs> some kind of baked good, you're banned. Um, then you're going to get banned. And I just happened to have this picture um, that I took several years ago with a with a mobile phone um, of um, some fruit loaf in my toaster, and at the top of the at the top of this round of fruit loaf, it looked like there was a because the the way the currents had been. Uh, organized uh, it it looked like a, it looked like i had che Guevara. I thought, you were going to, I thought you had Jesus in your. No, no, it's similar. Not, not quite Jesus. No, it was Shea Guevara, definitely Shay. And uh, and I just, I just innocently um, posted the picture of Shea Guevara in toast, and he banned me for it. So, uh, so it's a bit harsh, isn't it? Th- there you go. He's telling me actually, he didn't ban me. He's just that he just kicked me from the group, and I can go back anytime I like. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm banned. You know. So, uh, yeah, so, if you, so. I, I'd take it as a personal affront. If you want me back, you have to bring get me back down in. On you. Yeah. Get down on your yeah. hands and knees and beg. Exactly, exactly. Being banned is more impressive than it's, uh, it is temporarily <laughs> suspended or something. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, my co-host, uh, one of my co-hosts in the other podcast I do, the uh, Classic Lenses podcast, also got uh, kicked out of the group for doing, I assume, something similar. Um, and uh, his response was to create a different group uh, using pretty much the same logo and then it scrolled over it saying the real hypersensitive uh, <laughs> and, um, and and uh, and also adding to it you know yeah, the welcoming banned exiles from from the other other group and so on and, like the real ira isn't it <laughs> exactly and uh, m m joined that group and uh and he infiltrated he, he, it he, he did yeah. and he made a comment on it and i just instantly muted him for 12 hours for, for having the nerve to even speak on it so uh, yeah <laughs> i'm trying to get my own back there <laughs> oh no so finally probably finally visual visualization for film photographers let's end on a short topic we touched on visualization didn't we when we were in the depths of our discussion about uh yeah about simon trying to encourage simon to think where he how he wanted this picture to look so what are some of the things and we can just point we could just point people to your article visualization for film photographers but in a nutshell as we've got you here um what are some of the uh, what, what what is visualization and why which why should we give a hoot? So visualization is seeing in your mind's eye um, how the print, um, perhaps or the image on screen, is going to come out after you have taken that shot. So it's about being able to visualize the end point to a process when you are, you know, taking the shot or thinking about the shot. Um, so it, 
like the zone system idea, it is about what's part of the zone system idea. Um, it's about practicing enough so that you've gone through that process, you've taken shots, you've printed those shots, and you're making adjustments and you're confident that what you're seeing, you know, and it's not just it's not just about exposure, there's other elements as well, framing the shot, you know, the, your aperture choice, your use of shutter speed, how all of those things will affect your image and the way it comes out. Yeah, there's been a, it, it's a really interesting area. And I suppose the more I find, the more I read um, about uh, uh, photography from people like, uh, I don't Stephen Shaw did one on s the ways of seeing, I think yeah. it's it called something like that. Uh, the, the direct, the old, the former director of the, uh, New York gallery, John Sarkowski, is it? Is he he's done yeah. one on um, uh, how you read photographs again? I forget yeah. the title. I'll dig these books out and put them in the show notes. But he talks about you know essentially aids to visualization. So think how you, the constraints of a of compressing a three D picture into a two D uh, image, and, yeah. and how and the consciousness of framing, how you introducing something. Stephen Shaw, uh, in one of his YouTube lectures, talks about a picture he took where there's a stop sign and there's a cloud above it. And he said, in reality, the cloud wasn't on top of the stop sign, but yeah. by his viewpoint and by you know by compressing the image into two dimensions, he's got a cloud sitting on top of a um, on on top of a stop sign. Yeah, and that's that could be to do with perspective. It could be to do with focal length, the lens you're choosing to use, your your viewpoint and. And and it's all tied up. It, people talk about being able to see in black and white as well, don't they? And you know, and visualize how tones are affected and the use of filters and different types yeah. of film. So all of this adds up, I guess. Yeah. It. Yeah, and and it's something you you're trying to practice, aren't you? Through all of that, you're trying to understand and internalize, I suppose, how all those different things add up to the image that you're going to make. And at the end of your article, you say this, I can't end this article with, without making two recommendations for further reading. Ansel Adams book, the camera is a classic statement of the case for visualize visualizing. Yeah. I also direct you to Michael Freeman's excellent, the photographer's eye. Yeah. Michael Freeman is, um, I don't know if he's still with us, but he used to be very prolific in the sort of amateur photographer print, world and he, he had yeah. loads of books out there by michael freeman so that's called the photographer's eye i've not seen that one and it's companion books the photographer's vision and mind freeman does a fine job of breaking down different approaches to the frame and framing and does so with clear visual examples drawn from yeah his own that's, that's work. the thing about oh. those they're, they're mm. really well illustrated and they're all from his own practice so he knows the images inside out and he he's really good at categorizing different kinds of shot, and it's you you get the feeling almost that he's worked over this such a long period of time that he's able to kind of he's got set types of image that he's looking for because he's practiced this business of visualizing so much, and he distills all that experience and you know gives it to the reader. It's really nice. Well, I'll listeners, I'll put notes to those books 
in the show notes together with some others that I've um, got on my bookshelf, which I just yeah. can't, couldn't quite remember the titles to. Yeah. And he does make a really good point, actually, because I think he talks about how there's a lot of writing about photography that is very kind of theory based, but not based on practice. And he's trying to kind of fill this void about writing more from a kind of practical point of view, which is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Simon. Don't really have anything to add on this one. I've no, I'm, 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 I'm running out of steam. <laughs> I think you pretty much covered that one pretty conclusively there. Yeah. Um, and and I think actually on 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 that theme, I think we're actually bring need to bring things uh, to to an end now. Um, yeah. And uh, on and I've I've got to say I think it's been it's been fantastic. Um, I've I know. A little bit more about the zone system. Um, (laughs) But Richard, he'll keep asking guest after guest. It's one of those things where you've got to keep going over the same stuff and until until it sinks and in and you know, it's It's that kind of thing. And 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 that's it. I mean, Andrew started, and then we have various guests uh, trying trying to give me some knowledge and. uh, Matt Rash uh, took me took me a, a, a bit further. Um, yeah. I've got to give a special thank a thank you to Hamish Gill, who doesn't do large format and he's not. He doesn't consider himself to be any kind of an expert on the zone system, but he explained a couple of things to me that um, helped me make a bit more sense of it as well. And and you've you've taken me further down that road as well. Uh, to, well, you, well, you did say you right. had a eureka moment. Was that when we were talking about zones in developing the N plus and one the, the falling of the highlights? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, yeah. that was really, really good. Because that, that at that point, that that made sense. But sometimes you get told to do things. Well, you know, such as you know, what did you did you meet at the highlights? And the answer was no. But and that was I didn't meet at the highlights because I didn't know why I'd want to meet at the highlights. Because I'm not I don't care too much about the highlights. I want this bit here to be black. Well, I do care about the highlights and what's going on in in the developing processes. It, could have a you know a, well will have a significant effect on it, yeah. Um, depending upon upon how far those highlights are away from 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 your shadows. So yeah, it's massively important, and uh, I get it today on on that that part of it. So I, I do feel like I can I can go away and, and do something. Um, it, it also encourage is encouraging me uh, again uh, to try and stick to one film at the moment. And, yeah. um, and potentially Let's give that a go for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Just, 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 it's, it's building up a bit of learning your craft, isn't it? Really. And, yeah, um, absolutely. And I think if you, if you, if you chop and change too much, then you, you may learn bits and bobs, but it's sometimes very, very difficult to put, put those things that you've learned together. Yeah. Um, well, I think if you'd gone to the effort to invest in large format photography, then you could logically conclude that you've taken a conscious decision to take your photography in a different way. And that would be for those reasons that we all know for slowing down for uh, med- meditative, contemplative, thoughtful photography. Yeah. So why would you not then want to, you know, understand and then maybe maybe you've got a view to making darkroom prints and combining the two. Then yeah. you really need to have some understanding of your materials, how highlights are affected, how shadows are affected, and you you just cannot get away from whether you call it the zone system or not. Yeah, you can't get away from it because it's basically sensitometry in action. And that? the prize is that creative control because Simon actually had a real vision for that image. 
So it's about don't, don't the, big him the up means too much. to kind of well, it's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's that yeah, that that's the promise of it. Well, well, that's I was going to say that that's something that up until going to do that photograph, I again, it's it's this thing about coming from predominantly using digital and then being able to just take something in raw and put it into into Lightroom and and move it wherever you like with the sliders. Uh, you you don't have that that well a lot of people you could argue do have that same level of control but it, it's it, it takes so much more skill to have that yeah. kind of level of control in a dark room than it than it does ultimately uh, with uh, do, doing it digitally and so going into and, and taking the photograph and thinking about the end result is new to me because i don't worry about the end result when i'm when i'm shooting digitally because yeah the end result will be whatever i want it to be and whatever mood i'm in um, but you don't have that luxury, and I think it's really good that you don't have that luxury because it makes you work. Well, you that do, much you do, you do a bit in the darkroom, and and you can do there are there are things you can do, but you can you can give yourself the best possible starting point by having that flexible negative, and then you can you're giving yourself wiggle room in the darkroom to then do that yeah, post, I, post post I, production. I guess really I'm talking about myself rather than somebody that really knows what they're doing. So it's a case of my the opportunity for me to adjust the the, the, the final output is far more limited than than it than it will be for you, for instance, for the for the two of you. So that so it, it concentrates my mind more because I know personally I cannot do as much with the end result. So I need to put as much effort as possible into getting into the exposure of the of the of the negative to help with the processing when it goes out into that into that dark room with my limited abilities mm. yeah fair point yeah so on the on the on the subject <laughs> of limited my limited abilities um <laughs> let's let's start bringing things to to, to a close um i, I we we always offer our uh, guests an opportunity to do a shout out, um, and we rarely tell them that they're going to do that, and we just oh. uh, dr drop it on them. So, oh. uh, d is there anybody you want to say a, a load to that you're going to who's going to be really annoyed if you don't say anything now? Uh, ah, I'll, I'll say hello to my wife Sharon because uh, you've already yeah. given. Hello, Sharon. Hello, Sharon. <laughs> Hello, Sharon. You've already um, given shout outs to Sandeep, haven't you? And Ian Barnaby. Nuts. Yeah, and uh, and and M and uh, you know people like that. So, yeah. So, yeah, you've, you've you've covered the bases there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, once once again, I'm going to offer the, the opportunity to just uh, let our listeners know where they can keep up with your uh, work. I mean, you've mentioned your website, and I'll I'll mention it now, and that's. Uh, uh, www.richardpickup.com yeah um, are there any other ways are there any other like social media yeah the big one is twitter really i'm on twitter an awful lot that's my main one i've got some stuff on instagram but it's, it's twitter that I, i'll interact with people so and, and what's your yeah. what's your what's your name on on twitter um i'm richard underscore pickup i think at twitter you know what? We'll double check that now. We'll, yeah, we'll I'm go pretty to sure. Verification mode. Yeah. Oh, I do. I, well, you don't type it, do you? Though, when you're in Twitter, you don't. No. Actually... All the links in the show notes. I make sure they work first before I go and share them with people. Oh, I just realised I've just tapped that into a post <laughs> rather than looking for you. Yes. It? <laughs> it's a strange uh, post. Search Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, search Twitter. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it is Richard underscore pickup on, yeah. on Twitter. So. Uh, uh, those people who don't get to see the notes, they can do it that way. Uh, so that's good. 
Um, Andrew, have you have you got any shout outs this week? Uh, Other than what you've already done, of course. Uh, well, I spent some time last weekend with um, Ruth's story. Ruth isn't a large format photographer. She's mainly uh, Polaroid, but a lovely, thoughtful um, Polaroid instant artist. So I'll give a shout out to my friend yeah, Ruth. Brilliant. Ruth's story. She's Rue. Rue, Rue, something on Twitter? R double O. Anyway, if you Google Ruth's story, you'll find her. I'll, I'll put a link to her work in the show notes. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to the Classic Lenses podcast, um, particularly because of a podcast. I mean, and this is down to the unique way we uh, record this show. Um, but by the time this this episode goes out then we would have made an episode of the Classic Lenses podcast with um, Isabel Cuadez. Oh, yeah. And um, who very recently, as in the last couple of days, has announced that she's giving up film photography and moving solely over to digital to the point where mm. she's sold all her film gear. She's been... Wow. She's been... Uh, uh, she's been... Um, on social media sort of airing these thoughts hasn't she about yeah. what direction yeah. she should take i must say i'm very surprised to hear that exactly yeah. i was i was quite shocked when uh, when 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 i saw that and um, and i start that opened up a, a conversation um and that you know one thing led to another and she's coming on to the uh, the classic lenses podcast which yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. for those for those people that don't know too much about that it's um it's pretty much just about using old lenses, whether that be on digital or whether that be on film. I thought it was a f holy film show now. It's not quite, no. It's, uh, the, the bias is, is moved towards film, but it's not completely film. So, so we, we, we happily bounce between film and, uh, and, and digital. So it's, it's probably quite a good place to actually have that conversation. Um, mm. And so, so, yeah, so it will be delving into uh, those reasons reasons why she's she's completely moved well, yeah, away from one to another it'll be interesting if you then if you folks can listen to isabel being interviewed by sunny 16 podcast a couple of years ago maybe yeah i think it's an episode in the 70s i can't quite i've, I've been re-listening to that one recently but yeah, I can't quite remember which, which so it'll be it's, no, it's, it's called isabel, chinese isabel so it's just called it's called Chinese Candy to Candy Torture is the name of it, but it hasn't got Isabel's name really? in the title. So uh, Chinese Candy Torture is the uh, okay. is the episode in Sunday Sixteen to look for there. Yeah, wow. She had she used to do lots of stuff with her Hasselblad and Flex body on it and um, large format. Yeah, she's been on my. I, I was thinking about asking her to come on the large format photography podcast, but I know she's with the best will in the world and i don't you know take this in the way it's intended i think she's been in a bit of a difficult spot creatively she's been re she's a very thoughtful artist and i think she's been quite clearly she's been questioning her uh, artistic direction you know and she uh, she's i've seen her posting saying well should i give up social media should I, what should i do uh, you know and if you listen to the sunny 16 interview there's a certain amount of creative angst i think in the lady's life Mm, so yeah it'll yeah. be interesting to hear yeah definitely so her, her photography is absolutely wonderful so um so, it is yeah, yeah it is okay well finally uh andrew how can people keep up with you 
or I move, I move so fast they can't possibly keep up with me. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're desperate to, they can find me at Warboys Snapper on Twitter. They can find me hanging out at, on the Facebook group, on the Large Format Photography Podcast Facebook group, which is now up to 400 people. You should say four then. <laughs> four? Four? Well, it might be four. Impressive numbers. And if we board them with the zone system. Um, yeah, 400. Uh, you can catch me every week on the Lenses Podcast with Corey Cannon and... Uh, I'm pretty much over most media, Instagram, Warboys Snapper. Yeah, that's it, really. Okay, well, and people can get in touch with us if you want to send any questions in, like uh, James Thorpe did earlier with, with three great questions there that uh, <laughs> half carried the podcast or something. <laughs> they did. Um, yeah. Um, just send an email to largeformatphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Um, Andrew's just mentioned our, our Facebook group. Um, and I love our Facebook group. It's it's not a huge Facebook group, but it's it's the interaction on there. I think is absolutely excellent. So uh, yep. thanks to all those people that uh, are contributing on there. And I think you mentioned earlier. I'm not sure if it was on 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 air or not, but uh, there's there's a, a post on there by Wayne Setzer um, doing a video standing in front of a very big camera uh, doing things with it. Uh, He's just posted that I think while we've been recording or just yeah. before. So uh, what I loved when we had Wayne on the show. He was describing um, when we got onto the beer mat discussion. He, he then, I, I, I instructed him to go away and put something on the Facebook group. And he did a drawing, didn't he, of he did, uh, yeah. how, he, how he manipulated the plane of focus to get to, which was just brilliant. I love it. So thank you again for that, Wayne. He, he also commented on one of my waterfall shots where I'd, I'd used some front tilt, um, which took, took it along uh, past the point where my very small lens was able to actually uh, project an image correctly. So it vignetted at the, at the top of it and uh, it was saying, well, you should have used rear movement like I told you. Yeah, do you yeah. not listen? Do you not <laughs> listen? Exactly, <laughs> So, uh, but I, I I need that kind of interaction. So, uh, so thank thank you for that, Wayne. I'll uh, I'll try and remember that next time. Uh, that's just that's the thing. Large format photography. There's just so many different ways of making a photograph brilliant or awful. <laughs> Messing it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, but we uh, have been the first ten shows have been very heavily male dominated. I'll just throw that one in as well. We are working on it. I, we are trying to work on it. But, well, we uh, we did have Rachel, so I mean, we're 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 well, yes, ten, yeah. we're, we're ten percent, ten percent, ten percent female. Yes, ten yeah. percent. Is that within government standards? <laughs> no, I don't think we're being fully <laughs> no. representative. No, no, we, we must 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 try harder, um, and we will. Um, and actually, that's that's something about this thing about large format. Um, you know, it's been quite difficult to find. Um, women to come on to the classic lenses podcast largely because they feel that it's too technical and uh and 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 so on whereas i think oh, I a, you're gonna you're gonna, you you need to be careful you're going to be getting hate mail here no, no well that's that's this is the things that have been quoted back to me when i've oh, asked, okay. asked people and right. uh whereas yeah the, the, we in, certainly in the facebook group and in general, I think there's uh, there's a in percentage terms there seems to be more more women in large format photography than the kind of photography that I've been in where you're just like adapting different lenses and things like that. So uh, so hopefully we will have a high proportion of women on this, this this podcast certainly compared to the classic lenses where we've I think we've had one 
uh, you know, so, and, and they've done like 70 odd episodes. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll have a better hit rate uh, on, on here. There's been a lot of women on the, uh, uh, we, and we, you know, we could, people are going to be shouting, you shouldn't be making these distinctions, but it's just a fact. We have had a lot of uh, female pinhole guests on. And to be honest, there have been some of the best interviews. There's some of the most creative and thoughtful uh, people, and and we've had some just wonderful, wonderful interviews with uh, with lady pinhole artists. Yeah, yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So, um, finally, uh, Richard, again, uh, thank you for being a great yeah. Guest. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. As long as you've enjoyed yourself, we've enjoyed having you. Yeah, it's great conversation. Abs- absolutely. So. Uh, Last thing I, I do now is, uh, well, actually, I should just say places where people can find me. Uh, I'm on Twitter is Simon4. That's one word, and it's uh, Simon with F-O-R at the end of it. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. I have a eBay shop. If you do a search on eBay.co.uk for It's Fozzy, uh, where I sell things on there. Um, not much in the way of large format, unfortunately, uh, but lots of small. And why? Why is that? Why is that, Simon? Uh, because any large format stuff that heads my way stays in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. Well, maybe when I, when I start duplicating gear, then I might actually start selling some of it. But uh, um, yeah, one, one day I'll I'll start selling more more large format. Um, other things. Yeah, we already talked about the Classic Legends podcast uh, theme music. Uh, but thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our theme music, which is Two Finger Johnny. Um, and we, we we love that music, and uh, it's been proven that, that it's that it's good because it was very we've, we've, we've scientifically tested it, and it uh, it worked. It works. Yeah, exactly. So uh, finally, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast this week, and it'd be great if you can join us again in a fortnight. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.